Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of I Just Blank. Now what? The podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Stevens. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining me for another amazing Now What Wednesday. Today on the show, my really good friend Giovanna Caposa is sharing her I just ended a toxic relationship, now what story. And I'm so grateful for her for sharing this one because I know so many of us have been in a toxic relationship in the past or could be in a toxic relationship right now and maybe unaware or still haven't been able to heal from that toxic relationship that ended a little while ago and are just really not able to move forward in and be with an amazing partner now. And so I'm just so grateful for her for opening up and sharing her story uh, that she went through several years ago and how she figured out how to move forward and heal a lot of those wounds that this narcissist left behind. And so I'm just hoping that this episode resonates with so many people because, you know, we all deserve to be loved and we all deserve to be in loving relationships. And really it's our past that is often blocking us from a future that is just wonderful and magical and loving and everything that we want. And so please, please, please take notes, listen in. And if you know somebody who needs to hear this episode, hit pause right now, forward it to them and tell them to listen along with you because um, Giovanna is going to bring the goods today for sure. So a little bit about G. (laughs) She has so much experience in this space of love and relationships. Giovanna works with individuals seeking to understand and heal from their unhealthy relationship patterns and past so that they can enjoy the fulfilling, safe, and healthy relationship we all deserve. With more than 12 years of leadership and coaching experience, along with a certification in mind-body therapy, Giovanna's and Giovanna's own personal experience in healing from love addiction, she helps her clients develop a rock-solid relationship with themselves and helps them navigate and remove their blocks to love. She is a sought-after seminar and workshop coordinator across North America. She is an avid writer, blogger, and the former host of the popular She Rises podcast. Her previous training and clinical experience as a homeopathic and functional medicine practitioner helps her bring a holistic approach to her individual and group programs. In early 2020, Giovanna co-founded Blue Hive Health, Canada's first digital mind-body wellness center, and new podcast, Blue Hive Healthcast. She is an experienced and adventurous traveler. Giovanna has lived on three continents and is a student of the world and will be a soon published author. Her book, Love Well, Confessions of a Lovesick Woman will be available on February 14th, 2022. So without further ado, let's get to the now what. Have you ever had a situation happen in your life that you weren't expecting, good or bad, and said to yourself or out loud, oh my gosh, I just fill in the blank. Now what? Me too, friend. Me too. I've had quite a few actually, and in the moment, I never knew what I was going to do next. Of course, I had to figure it out, sometimes the hard way, but I did figure it out. So join me and some amazing guests this season as we all share our own I just blank now what stories so we can all learn from their transformational lessons to help us all answer that lifelong and often paralyzing question, now what? Well, hello, Ms. Giovanna. Hey, how are you, girl? <laughs> I'm doing so well. It's so good to see you virtually, of course. It feels like it's been a hot minute since the last time you and I connected. So I'm so excited for this it's conversation. It's been a real hot minute because it was like when we were still allowed to like meet in cafes and 
Yeah, you and I met up for coffee, and we had nice pastries, and we talked, and we, like, (laughs) did all this stuff together in real life, and then, yeah, I've seen you online, but I just haven't seen you in in real life, so it's so great to have a live conversation (laughs) with you, and I'm really excited for our, our chat today, and you sharing this really amazing story, and it's, I just ended a toxic relationship, now what? You know, this show, there's been lots of conversations about relationships of all shapes, sizes. And so romantic relationships, you know, we've touched on a little bit with my long distance relationship and a couple of others, but I'm really excited to dig into this topic because it is something that I find so many people have been in or are in, and they actually don't even realize that it is a toxic relationship. They just think that's normal. Absolutely. So before we do that, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about you? Like, what would you like the audience to know about Giovanna? Gosh, every time someone asks me this, I'm like, I'm a Gemini. I like long walks on the beach and pina coladas. No, (laughs) well, something that's really interesting that not a lot of people know about me. In fact, I don't even think my friends know this about me. But I bought my first relationship book when I was a teen. And you might be thinking, why the hell would a teenager buy like a relationship book? I was like 18 or 19. And it's because my parents had such a crappy marriage that I was like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Like, I know I want a relationship, but I don't want to do that. So not a lot of people know that about me. I've been geeking out on the relationship thing since I was very young. So besides that, yes, I am a Gemini and I love warm walks on the beach, (laughs) long ones. And I love being next to the ocean anytime. Oh yeah, me, you and me both. Like I, I am a water baby. I am at my best when I'm surrounded me by too. water. It's been a minute since I've been near the ocean, so I gotta get, get I gotta get on a plane real soon and go see me one. Me too. Oh my god, I always say if I could grow gills, I would live in the ocean. Yeah, for I sure. just I would be a mermaid. But. For sure. All right, so we got a great episode to share with everybody today. So let's jump right into the deep end here, and let's go way back to your toxic relationships. So give everybody a little bit of a backstory and what happened and what you did next. So I just got out of a toxic relationship and now what, right? So it's 2015. I am well across the other side of the world living in Australia where I had met up with my long distance relationship. And we had three, three months of sort of living, cohabitating, having the real relationship part, not the fantasy romantic kind of, you know, long distance part and everything blew up. And I walked into a bit of a, like, what's it called? Like a a dragon's den or I don't know, I like dragons, maybe a snake pit. And I didn't actually realize what I was getting into with this person. So fast forward, we're at the end of 2015, 2014 actually, God, it was so long ago. End of 2014 and this relationship blows up and I'm now um, back in Australia. I had come home to visit for, for Christmas. I went back to Australia because I was pining and I was hoping and I hope he takes me back. And, you know, I, you know, I, I, I think there's still something there and I think we could still get back together. You know, the whole time, you know, my intuition, guardian angels, whatever you want to call them are going, girl, what are you doing? Like, why are you there? And I'm just like, shut up, I know better, I know better. So I'm, I'm there and I'm, it's New Year's Eve and I am crying myself to sleep. I'm on the phone with a friend of mine who was living in LA at the time. She's, she's from LA, but she now lives in Mexico. And I'm just crying and crying and crying and crying and crying. That's how I spent my New Year's Eve alone in a foreign country, pining away for this person on the phone, crying with my friend. And the important part of that statement is of, I just got out of a toxic relationship and now what? The important part of that statement is that I I acknowledged in that statement that I was in a toxic relationship. But if you would have asked me then, I would have said it was great. Like, you know, we just had these problems and it didn't work because of that. And, you know, it didn't work because of this. And, you know, I, you know, it was my fault because I did that. And I had all these excuses. So fast forward to, I'm on the phone with my own coach on a call just like this and she says to me you're an addict i was like i'm not an addict what are you talking about like i'm not an i'm like okay maybe to cupcakes i confess (laughs) i'm like i'm not an addict and she said no you're an addict because you're addicted to the illusion of romantic love and that it's going to fix you and when she said that my entire heart sunk you know, even though I was unconscious about a lot of things, I was pretty woke still at the time. And I was, and I knew, I knew what she was saying was true. 
And so I wrote it down on a piece of paper. I'm addicted to the illusion of romantic love. But I still protested. I'm like, you can't be addicted to love. Like, come on, that's like a the lyric of a song. song. It's totally yeah. a Robert Palmer song. Like the lyric to a song. And anyways, love is a good thing. I'm happy, right? I'm a hopeless romantic. I always wore that badge of honor. So I I still resisted it. And then, but my heart sunk and something inside of me said, Oh, you know she's right. <laughs> you know that she's right. And I had to sit with it for a couple of days before I could actually really see and be honest with myself that I was using men, I was using relationships, I was using this idea of a romance to fill this massive void. And what happened to me simultaneously as my heart sunk is I remembered something I said the day that we buried my mom. And the day that we buried my mom, I went into the bedroom where she passed and I threw myself on the bed and I was hysterically crying. And out of my mouth, just unconsciously, didn't think about it, I said out loud, who's gonna love me now? Who's gonna love me now? And as soon as I said it, I was like, there was a part of me that was like, what are you talking about? Like, that's weird. And my sisters were in the room and they said, we love you and so-and-so loves you. And of course they said all the things you say to comfort somebody. But there was a part of me, I don't know if this has ever happened to you when you're in the middle of a moment, there's still another part of you that's kind of aware, that's observing. And that part of me was like, that's interesting. Like, where did that come from? Why did I say that? At the time I had a fiance and the time I had all my family around and, you know, I had all these things. So why would I say that? But fast forward now, however, many years later, when this coaching moment happened, I remembered that and I thought, oh my God. So of course I'm fast forwarding a lot here, but I, I pieced things together and I started realizing that I've had a void my whole life where I felt unlovable, where I felt unworthy, and where I didn't feel like anyone would really love me if they really knew me. So this was a big, like, you know, and I'm saying, and of course, how, how many minutes did it take me to say that? Like three. So I'm saying this really fast, Jessica, but this is like, this is a cascade of ahas and awarenesses and things. And the thing is, if anyone else like were to look at me, they were like, well, she's been successful. She's had a successful business at the time I was traveling the world. So people were like, wow, she's doing this thing. I was, I had already started my coaching business. So I had all these things sort of going for me. And when I first actually admitted this to a friend, they said, what? Like you? Now, granted, this wasn't a friend that knew me for years and years and years, because those friends, when I said it to them, were like, mm-hmm, yeah, we've been we've been wanting to tell you this for a while, but you haven't noticed. <laughs> Ooh, thank you for saying it. We've been thinking it, right? And they wouldn't have labeled it that way, but they 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 knew it. But this one, you know, new acquaintance person, when I said it to her, was like, but you seem so confident and everything's together and you're so smart. And that was the problem. And that is the problem is that most women that are experiencing, and by the way, I call this love sickness, women that are lovesick, that are constantly recycling toxic relationship patterns, that they're trying to fill some void of unlovability and they're not conscious of that, right? Like I wasn't conscious that I was doing that. I was totally unconscious, but that's what they're doing. This is all like, it's just, it's trying to mask things, right? It's just trying to mask things and they don't know they're doing it. And on the outside, they're otherwise like successful. Like I would say, I'll tell you, most of my clients are like lawyers, doctors, high achievers. So these in other categories of their life. Yes. And so there's some shame associated with, I can't get this dating thing right. I can't get this relationship thing right. Like I don't know what's wrong with me. Right. And they might not say those words, but that's the inner dialogue. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I had to do a lot of work and it didn't come easy and it didn't come quick because there's, you know, two steps forward, one step back. And it started off with doing something that I now actually hold my client's hands through. I did what I now call a man talks and a man talks was basically me having to get this person that I just broke up with completely out of my life. In other words, I couldn't, you know, just show up at at the breakfast place where I knew he had breakfast accidentally on purpose. You know, I couldn't I couldn't just, you know, call him to say happy birthday, right? I had to completely cut him off, but also I had to 
start to look at where I was using attention and romance and fantasy and all of those things, all of those triggers, right? And I had to start looking at that and being honest with myself. And when I started doing that, you would not be surprised at how many times a day I either thought about him or somebody else and fantasized, or I tried to, you know, I was like getting attention from someone and all of these ways, which I was trying to, again, fill that empty spot. And it's really, really hard to do that, right? It's really, really hard to come face to face and see that stuff and not want to berate yourself more, right? Because you're like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, I've, I've done this, but that's what I had to do. And that's like sort of, and I'm, I'm, I guess I'm glossing over a lot of the things. I'll wait for you to ask me more in-depth questions about it, but this is what had to happen for me to wake up and stop doing that. Okay, so we, let's pause right there because you gave me the invitation to ask <laughs> a clarifying question. What did that look like? Like, was it the snap your wrist with a rubber band every time you had the thought? Like, what what did you actually do? Yeah, that's such a good question. So I, I had a journal. I'm, I'm pointing here because I always have a journal next to me. I had a journal that I would write in. And what I had to do was every time that I noticed myself doing that, I had to write it down. So I had to confess to myself, right? I had to write it down. I had to write down what I was doing and what I was hoping. And then I had to sit with it for at least 10 minutes and just ask myself the question, like what's behind this? It's kind of like if you're, if you're trying to lose weight, right? And you go on like a diet and you're sitting on the couch and it's like 7.30 and you're like, oh my God, I want a bag of chips, right? Most coaches will tell you, well, stop, you know, have a glass of water, so pause. Right, acknowledge that you want the chips, but then ask yourself, like, why do you want the chips? Right. And most of the time it'll be like, I'm bored, you know, I'm anxious, you know, I'm pissed, or like something, right? You're gonna come up with something that mm -hmm. is not literally hunger. And I had to do the same thing. I had to do the same thing with men, and I had to do the same thing with this guy, who by the way was very toxic, you know, like not just in the typical I attracted not a good match way, but like lots of other issues right like we'll get in that that might be a whole other show jessica but i did do a, a talk it's on youtube i did do a, a speech about it so i had to do that i had to pause i had to notice i had to pause i had to confess write it down be honest about it and then i had to start my detox over so i gave myself a 30-day detox and every time i went off of it i had to start from day one again so it was so kind of like, you need to be able to do 30 days of no thoughts consecutively to really know that you've been able to shake this habit. Yeah. And I, and I, every time I messed up, I had to start from day one. And so that's an incentive that that's the rubber band, right? Because it's like, oh, I'm going to start over again. Right. Because there is the addict and it is an addiction. There is the addict in you that wants the fix. They want the fix. Pay attention to me, love me, say I'm pretty, right? Dopamine so, is a powerful drug. Oh God, it is so powerful, right? So every time I wanted that dopamine hit, you know, and it's, you know, like we, we know now, thank you, Dr. Joe Dispenza, neurons that fire together, wire together. Mm -hmm. So I had all these neurons firing for like, ooh, romance, and he paid attention to me and I'm pretty. And you know, that guy said I had a cute butt or like whatever it was, right? Mm -hmm. That they had to unhook. And I had to unhook. So that was kind of step one. And let me tell you, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. I had some very crashy moments. I had moments, I guess I was probably a week into this where I had the idea that I didn't need this. Maybe I was fine. So I decided to reach out. And so I reached out with this person and I thought, well, I've done some work. You know, it's been, a, it's been a few weeks. It was actually by then it was a month and a half that we were broken up. So I'm going to reach out because, you know, we're still friends. And I just see where he's at. And so I reached out and I remember he was so cruel and so cold and shut it down that I lost it that night. And I, I spiraled into a massive depression. In fact, the next morning, I'm not embarrassed to say I was a suicidal. I had cried myself to sleep not even to sleep. I cried myself the whole night and I woke up the next morning and I was in a fog. And I remember I, I walked, I lived, I lived about a walking distance to the beach 
just like a 10, 15 minute walk. And I walked along the canals of the neighborhood that I was living in and I walked to the beach and I was in this daze. I didn't slept all night. I was crying. My eyes were probably out to here. And I walked to the beach and I got there and I was so ashamed of myself because I was like, how could, like, I'm smart. What did I not see? Like, what is this? And I remember walking back from the beach and as I was walking back from the beach, I was like, I don't want to live like this anymore. I'd gone through another heartbreak about a year prior to this person. You know, other relationships I had, I broke up with the, the people, but still that was a heartache, right? Like there was some mm-hmm. my mom passing, like all of the grief, right? Grief is this funny thing where, you know, it's kind of like that scab that heals over, but as soon as something else happens, like you pick it and it's, it all bubbles up again. So I was walking back to my, uh, the place I was renting and I was just devastated. And I was, I was start, starting, you know, maybe if I took those pills, like those ones that I take to, you know, so that I could sleep on the flight from Melbourne back to Toronto, maybe if I take like more of those. And so I was having these thoughts and again, they sneak up on you, right? But I was planning and it, it was by the grace of God that in that moment, my sister called me from Toronto on WhatsApp and I answered the phone and she said, are you okay? Like what's going on? And I just broke down and lost it. But that saved me because she was she intervened with me. Yeah. She intervened, right? Inter- intervention, divine intervention. But that is like the lowest, lowest point that I had to get. And, and it, that is to this day what I call my relationship rock bottom. And I think that when you have this addiction to trying to feed something in yourself that is really, it's, un- it's an unquenchable thirst, you can't feed it. It's like that you know, that hungry gremlin that's constantly, you know, Gabor Mate would call it the hungry ghost, right? It's that void in you. It's deep. It's really deep. So I started my detox again. And this time I had to be committed because now it was a matter of life or death, right? Now it was a matter of life or death. So yeah. that's the first thing I did. So I did how my long did the, How long did the detox actually take you to get to a full 30 days? Like how many reboots? <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. It took me, that's funny because I've actually never thought about that. I think it took me three months. Okay. I think it took me three months and I don't even think I made it the full 30 days. And I'll explain why in a minute because other things started happening for me and moving in the background and I ended up leaving Australia. But it took me, it took me about three months to do most of it. And I'll, okay. I'll tell you what the hiccup was in there. But in those three months, even with just doing, this is why I tell my clients all the time, don't beat yourself up. Mm -hmm. It's not about finishing it. It's about the fact that you're doing it because the realizations you have, the awarenesses you have, the shifts you have, they happen in the first two weeks, right? Like the 30 days is just extra, right? The second thing I had to do though, and I, I write about this in one of my blogs that's on my website, is I decided that I was only gonna date God for a year. I figure the divine is the best kind of boyfriend, girlfriend to have. Partner. So thought, <laughs> partner, right? Genderless. I decided I was going to date God for a year. And what that meant is that I was going to dive into my spirituality. And for me, that was starting to learn A Course in Miracles. So I started the teachings of A Course in Miracles. I sucked up everything I could find about A Course in Miracles. I started learning about the ego. I started learning about the power of prayer. I started learning about all these different things. And the Course in Miracles itself, like the workbook is is basically, it's a psycho- book on psychology basically. And the workbook is a way to reprogram your thinking away from what they call wrong-minded thinking to right-minded thinking, right? So wrong-minded thinking is ego thinking and right-minded thinking is thinking in alignment with God. So I had to commit to doing that and I had to, I had to really stick with it. But Jessica, this is how powerful this addiction is. This is how powerful it is because it kept sneaking in there, right? It's like that first, you know, I've talked to, you know, drug addicts, I've talked to alcoholics and that first year, that first couple of years, but especially that first year, it is so, so tough. And that's why there is a high level of like recidivism when it comes to like Alcoholics Anonymous because it's so freaking hard because of that dopamine hit. Because if you're not fully, fully, fully dealing with that void, then it's just gonna keep coming back. So, you know, it was a little bit of this, right? It was a, I would say it'd be from January to June. It was like an up, it was kind of one of these, right? Roller coaster ride, Roller coaster holding ride. on for dear life, yeah. Mm. 
And then another divine intervention, because I was like, I, I got the message really clear that I was to move on. I really realized that I'm actually, I'm saying that I'm staying here because I love Melbourne and I love the city and I've made these new friends and it's really cool, which it was. And I, and I did, I made some great friends, but I actually realized, no, if I'm being honest with myself, I'm still waiting for this person to come back. So I decided I was going to move on. And just at that point that I decided that my friend messaged me and said, Hey, I saw this really cool job opening in California. I know you've always wanted to live there. Why don't you apply for this job? And it was in coaching. And so I did that. And just prior to leaving, I got pulled back in. Now, if anyone here that's listening has ever been in love with or in a relationship with someone who is called a narcissist, you know exactly what I'm talking about and the allure of these people and the way that they can draw you in and manipulate you if you have that vulnerability, if you have that sensitivity is pretty, pretty powerful. So for the last two weeks before I left, you know, he got his hooks back into me and my hooks back into him. And that took me off my detox, right? That took me off my detox. But Jessica, I was convinced I was I was healed by now. Yeah, I was good. I could tell I could take a sip. I'm fine now. Right. Like it's just a sip. Right. It's just just a little bit of vodka. So I I took that sip and that set me back. That set me back, I would say about six months. And I had a wake up when I was living in California. I had my other my second wake up. And this time it was going to happen and it was going to happen for real. So very, very slowly, slowly, I started to unhook myself from this person. And I did mentally, emotionally, all of that stuff. Physically, as you are now in a Physically, whole other country, country and time zone. Continent, time zone. Yeah, all of that hemisphere. I started to unhook myself, but it took me probably another two full years of doing some massive serious work to be fully, fully aware and completely unhooked from that. And then I was tested a few times. I had a couple of other narcissists come into my life by way of friends and acquaintances and even business people. And I could see where I was, my resolve was being tested every step of the way. And then I decided that I was done. I decided I was done with relationships and I wrote them off. So I did what a lot of my clients do that I try and help them through is I went from a man talks to a man drought. So <laughs> I did, I was like, screw this. I'm like four years, I'm not doing any of this. I'm just gonna work on myself, which was a little excessive, but it was, I needed it. Yeah, needed so it's work. kind of the concept of if you don't wanna eat the cookie, there are no cookies in the house. Absolutely no cookies in the house, none. So I went totally on like starvation diet, but I was okay. And I say that I was okay because- With all, all of you listening, she's air quoting me right now. She's, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm doing the air quotes. And it was, it was about four years later that I was sitting with a coaching group and there was a guy, there was a guy in the group who was happy. He was a really, he was an intimacy relationship and intimacy coach. And he was in the group with me in this mastermind. And I was talking about my business and I was talking about this and that, and like, you know, and, and he just said, like, can I share something here? Cause we're all in the group so we can coach each other. Right. So he was like, can I, can I just put something out there? Can I share something here? And I was like, sure. And he's like, you are never going to be 100% happy with your business or your success or anything that you're doing because you are a woman who is starving for a relationship. So of course the feminist in me was like, well, screw you, I don't need a man. <laughs> like I just said that whole thing, right? But he was right, he was right. And I could still be a good card carrying feminist and say, that I really did want partnership. And not everybody does, and that's fine. But I knew that I was someone who, like, hello, I bought my first relationship book when I was 18. Yeah. I, relationships and partnerships value for me. you wanted. It was what I wanted. It's, but like, I, I'd almost been training for this marathon my entire life, right? And, but I was denying it of myself because now I went sort of from one extreme to the next because now, now I can't even like, you know, be in a country where there are bars right because now i just like i can't right i just totally denied myself so i he was right he was right and i had to admit that and so then i had to go through a process of unraveling all the walls that i had put up 
right? And I put them up to protect myself. I put them up to not- Your safety mechanisms to prevent you from, you know, having that narcissist find his way back into your life, right? Right, or anyone that looked like him, or just from me repeating the same mistake of using men and romance and all that stuff to fulfill this empty need. Like, I made a commitment that I wanted to do that for myself, right? I just went way off the deep end with it, right? So so I had to then do some unraveling work, right? To, to, To tear down- the blocks and the walls that I had put up because in the places where I hadn't yet dealt with stuff, you know, instead of going in and kind of fixing it, I just kind of like, you know, threw some plaster on it, put up a brick wall and was like, yep, that's okay. I'm not going to deal with you because I just, I'm swearing off all men forever. So that, that was another process and that was more work. And I would say probably about two years after that, I met my current honey and I'm never going to say happily ever after because there's no such thing because things always happen, but it's, he's the love of my life and I'm completely happy and I feel completely worthy of his love. And I know what I bring to the table and I know that he's lucky to have me as much as I'm lucky to have him. And there's, there's no grossness and there's communication and there's now a man that adores me, but I really, really now know that I deserve to be adored. And I could never, ever say that ever before. So that was my entire book, by the way, in 10 minutes. <laughs> cold notes. Oh my gosh, love it. Okay, so let's let's rewind a little bit. Yeah. I wanna ask you some questions. So this desire for romantic love your whole life, do you think this stems from watching your parents not have a healthy marriage and romantic relationship and it was because yeah you didn't you didn't see it in them but you knew it's what you you wanted it so bad because you didn't have it as a child witnessing it a little bit so what we know now like now scientifically through studying attachment theory and attachment trauma is we actually know that the setup for this is through like adverse child events and adverse child trauma right so it does stem from that because growing up in a household where there was a lot of fighting and a lot of drama and a lot of lack of safety in that sense, like not that, you know, pots and pans were flying around, but just when there's always tension and there's always yelling and there's always unhappiness as a child, you grow up not feeling safe. Right. And when you have parents who are critical or who are otherwise preoccupied, like my mom was with, meeting my dad's needs you interpret that as a child as early early onset abandonment right and so my mom wasn't abandoning me she was still there right i had food had clothing and all that but emotionally i was probably interpreting a lot of abandonment from a really young age and so i can remember being really young and having this massive fear that i was going to get left somewhere my mom was going to die or something was going to happen i was like really little like for a small child to have fears like that is not normal, right? Like there's there's psychologically already a trigger happening. So I can definitely see it before. So what we know now is when you have that inner child's trauma, when you've had stuff like that transpire in your early developmental years that you develop what's called an attachment uh, style of anxiousness. So an anxious attachment style. So I can totally see now where that got set up my parents' relationship definitely added to it. Obviously, I blame Walt Disney as well. And the list goes on, right? But but we have to always go back to that little girl. And I always say that there's, you know, like I say this to my clients because it's true for them. And I say this to other women as well. Like there's a lot of adult women walking around in really beautiful, expensive shoes. But it's just a costume because really it's that little girl walking around with her big high heel shoes because there's all these little pieces that number one, we don't know we're acting up. We don't know they're there. We're not really taught this information in school. Like, you know, you don't ever get taught A, how to handle a relationship or be in a relationship, let alone, hey, you know, you might have some early childhood, you know, traumatic events that might be running the show unconsciously in your mind. Mm-hmm. Like who talk? nobody talks about that. So it's a good question. And so I do think a lot of it had to do with seeing that in my parents. But that deep need, like that void of like, please somebody love me and say that I'm okay. That's like definitely early childhood stuff. And it just, yeah, it just compounds, right? So next question here is 
let's talk about narcissists for a second here. For those oh, who <laughs> for those who who don't necessarily know what a narcissist is yeah. or how to maybe let's give them some cues to help them identify a potential narcissist in their life because as you said, they're very smooth, very clever, very they're smooth. very smart, and so their ability to hide that personality trait is also strong. So talk to us about some basic narcissist activities and actions and behavior. Yeah, it's a great question. So, I mean, narcissism exists kind of on a continuum. Like it's kind of like yeah. there's degrees and like, honestly, we're human beings. We're all narcissistic to some degree, right? Of course. But when we talk about narcissism or like this, this toxic narcissism that shows up in relationships, it can be anything from, you know, a partner who is really, really into themselves and can't show you empathy and connect with you all the way to what like the DSM would describe as like a narcissistic personality disorder, right? Where this person is like, they need therapy and stuff. So it, it does exist on a continuum, but typically a narcissist in a relationship will start off with a love bomb, right? So if those of you haven't heard about love bombing, love bombing is like, I just met you and I'm already like, oh my God, I think you're my soulmate and you're the love of my life. And, and, but, and it's really, really hardcore. It's really full on and it's really soon. And usually there's a part of you that's like, oh, is this like, okay? Like this kind of weird right so there's that that i call it your spidey senses right they still activate and they're like oh you know but that deeper desire for you to be adored that way it just takes over right so love bombing is a signature characteristic of how a narcissist will start dating they just go full on full in and then what will happen at a certain point when they know they have you and when they know you're engaged they'll start to backpedal a little bit they'll pull away they'll pull away a little bit and they might start to like do this double thing of like criticize you a little bit but then like boost you back up but then point out where you might be deficient or something is wrong but then boost you back up when you have an argument or something you're upset about something in the relationship they are never wrong they never ever apologize and it's always about how you are the problem in the relationship not so some gaslighting going on total gaslighting yeah you're imagining it, it's you, all of that. When and if you get strong enough to set a boundary with a narcissist, they will always, always lash out. They will lash out and it'll get really ugly really fast. Because now it's almost like you, you know, you've opened the curtain on the Wizard of Oz, right? You can see that scared little boy behind the machine and they, they don't like that, right? They don't like that. There's a lot of manipulation that happens with a narcissist. There's a lot of obviously inflating themselves and they really lack the ability to show empathy. Some of them, a lot of them can fake empathy. So it's like they're faking that they're empathic towards you or they feel you or, but it's, they're faking it. It's not real. They actually lack the ability to show empathy and they can't, they can't empathize even with themselves. Right? So those are sort of the telltale signs that you're dating a narcissist and it's a fine line between somebody who is like a narcissist and and on that continuum and and how bad it gets right like sometimes it can start quite mild and then it can go kind of yeah. from bad snowball to worse. yeah snowball yeah and there's this definite way of like i said manipulating you that into you believing that you're the problem and they're really really good at spotting you know and again this is not like these people aren't necessarily predators out there doing this. A lot of this is unconscious for them. They're also wounded. They also have inner child wounds and trauma, right? They're not necessarily out there consciously doing this. A lot of this is very unconscious. In fact, the person I was with loved to constantly point out to me other narcissists. He'd call everybody a narcissist. That person's a narcissist. His ex-wife is a narcissist. That's a narcissist. And at one point I'm like, well, he keeps doing that a lot. Like he's using that word a lot. I'm like, huh, right? So to him, it was always everybody else's fault. It was never his fault. They're, they're always the victim. And that's a narcissist. All right. Good, good <laughs> pointers. Know, Jessica? <laughs> Mentally going through the Rolodex. The Rolodex, um, yeah. Okay. So what I always like to, to ask people is now what? 
right? So <laughs> congratulations for pulling yourself out of this toxic relationship and doing your healing and then healing again and wor working through all your stuff and, you know, finally getting to the point where you have that romantic love in your life. Mm -hmm. So now what, G? What's next for you in this the journey? It goes on, right? Like it's, it's, this is the thing I tell my clients. So I have I have my own 12 step program. It's a group program for to walk people through everything that I did and how I healed, right? And people get to the end and a lot of times they'll meet someone, sometimes they don't. But some of my clients are like, okay, I met someone, I'm done. Like, good, well, thanks for coming out. Like, you, thanks, Giovanna, great. And I'm like, mm -mm. this is like, now the work actually starts because- Yeah, maintaining the relationship right. and like- <laughs> Absolutely, like I'm still doing workshops. I'm still learning, I'm still doing stuff. and. You know, it's not like there's this idea of the happily ever after, which is why I retracted that is in a is that is part of the illusion that like, pardon my language, like F's women up a lot, right? Like that idea that you're going to find the person, they're going to fix all the stuff in you, which by the way, is not their responsibility. They're, you know, they're going to fix you and, and you're going to be great. And it's going to be this secure relationship. And then like, it's fine. That is such a farce, right? And it just screws a lot of people up. So it continues, but here's the thing. And this is the encouraging thing, whether you have an anxious attachment style, and I know we didn't get into that and that's the topic of a whole other podcast, but whether you have an anxious attachment style and you and, and being with someone brings up all your anxiety about abandonment or whatnot, or maybe you're an avoidant type where you get too close and then you get freaked out and then you push away, right? doesn't matter what you are. The goal is that you end up attracting and being able to thrive in a securely attached relationship. And when you get to that relationship, there's a chance for you to heal a lot of stuff. Again, it's not necessarily your partner's responsibility, but when you arrive there, there's a lot of unhealed parts of yourself. Like they can't heal in a vacuum, right? Like relational trauma only gets healed in a relationship. So a lot of those parts will come up, but guess what? Now you're with someone you're in a secure attached relationship you're with a healthy person who is gonna have your back is gonna be there for you is gonna be committed is gonna want to work through all this stuff and you are going to provide the same thing for them and so it, it's an ongoing evolution and it's ongoing process and you know you're still gonna you're gonna do workshops together you're gonna do learning on your own and it's it's never ever ending so there's no destination where you're like, okay, I'm good. Don't need any help anymore. Right? <laughs> awesome. I love it. Thank you so much for kind of putting that perspective on it. Because so many people think like, Ooh, got the ring and we're done. That's it. Right? We're good. Yeah. Well, because that's um, where all the movies end, Jessica, and then they lived happily ever after. Right? Yeah, it's good to show up to see, you know, what what's going on there with Cinderella one year in, two years in, three years in. I'll tell you um, what's going on. She's bitching that she always has to clean the toilets and wash the dishes. And they're yeah. and they're probably doing, you know, a, a marriage workshop or something like that. That's what's I know. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> okay, G. Well, where can people find you? Where where are you hanging out? They want more information about you and your coaching and, you know, maybe helping them identify some narcissists in their life. Where, where can people hang, find you? So I am mainly on Instagram. So it's lovewell underscore coach on Instagram is where you'll find me. You can obviously find me on my website, which is com. I just started a clubhouse channel under the same love well coach because i'm going to experiment with doing like a like a live kind of podcast and doing some live coaching on there i'm still trying to figure out how to use it by the way i'm not that everyone savvy. is everyone is <laughs> right like how the hell do you use that thing but yeah i'm on facebook so pretty much anywhere like that the best place to find me though is on instagram and of course on my website which you can check out and yeah. we talked about my book a couple times i mentioned that that's gonna yeah so tell me about the, the book year. let's talk about the book Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so the book is a memoir, um, a memoir that, you know, married and had a baby with the self-help book. So there's a lot of my story that's going to be in the book. That 10 minute kind of fast thing that I gave you is just it's a tidbit of what I talk about. Of course, I go into a lot of details about that relationship, which was very abusive and all the other ones and just the makings of how this all began. Right. So I really want to be able to help women see that they're not alone and that there's a way out. So that's the book. And it's right now it's scheduled to come out on Valentine's Day appropriately 
speaking, but we'll see because we'll, you know, there's and in publishing and editing there, yeah. there's always hiccups. So, <laughs> so we'll see if it comes out a little later, but right now it's scheduled to launch then and people can read a little bit more about it on my website. Amazing. All right. So yeah, we'll put all of that info in the show notes for people to find you. And when her book comes out, ladies and gentlemen, this is definitely a must read. If you were intrigued at all about this with this episode that, you know, she just shared, go get the book because she goes into a lot more detail about all the things and to help you if you think you might just also be addicted to love. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Anything else you want to share with, with the audience before we wrap up today? You know, you just reminded me when you when you talked about Addicted to Love again, that I was sitting in a cafe in, in Australia when this book idea came to mind. And I Your started book baby. <laughs> the, my book baby. Right. So I started putting I started doing up all the chapters and, you know, trying to organize a book outline, like very rudimentary. I had no idea what I was doing. And I was, you know, putting all my ideas down. And in the background, that song started playing by Robert Palmer. Might as well face it, you're addicted to love. And I'm like, that's what I'm going to call my book. But anyways, the title, the title is different now, but that's, it was funny because that actually, that song was playing. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is exactly what I'm talking about. So, yeah. Last question for you. How, how many people do you think out there are actually addicted to the idea of love and romantic relationships and are completely oblivious to it? That is such a good question that the nerdy, geeky, like science brain in me was like, let's do a study. You know, I know there's a lot of like, there's a lot of talk and there are some programs for like love and sex addiction and they usually combine them together, which I've seen is not necessarily the case. Like you can be a sex addict and not be a love addict. And they, so I don't like that they sandwich them together, but there, I bring that up because there are large groups of people that sort of attend those types of you know, anonymous meetings, but I don't know, right? I don't know. I would say millions, right? Because with the level of relationship recycling of drama that we see happening, and I just recently joined a couple of Facebook groups for relationships, right? Just because I wanted to myself understand like, what is it? Like, I, I want to, like, I hear it from my clients, of course, mm -hmm. but I'm like, I want to know what the average person struggles with. And the amount of questions and sincere pleas for help right and the drama and the and the stories and the and and just seeing that it's i think it's in the millions right because who teaches this stuff i didn't know yeah. i had no idea i was walking around like a zombie just unconsciously living my life and my little my wounded little girl was in the driver's seat of all my relationships so what does she know she's like five she's like running around with scissors in my head going you suck you suck right like she doesn't yeah. know but if you don't know that that's going on, right? Like if you if you take an honest inventory of your life and your relationships, like if you're currently right now, not in the relationship that you desire, or you're still looking, or you've completely given up, that's a clue that there's some work to do, right? Like that's, yeah. that's your symptom, that's your first symptom. All right, okay, so last thing, if somebody listening right now is unsure or maybe is starting to tune into the fact that they might be in a toxic relationship and need to exit themselves. Mm. What two or three words of wisdom do you have for them to help them make those moves? It obviously depends on what you're in, right? So if you're in an abusive relationship right now and you're experiencing any form of like physical, mental, verbal abuse, and it is intense then, and you fear for your safety, then you definitely want to contact someone, a support center, you know, a women's shelter, someone that can help you navigate that. But for the average person who's in that just shitty, unfulfilling relationship, and yeah. you know, maybe they're, they listen to this and they're like, crap, I think my partner is a narcissist. And like, what do I do? The first thing is make a plan, make a plan for yourself. What's the next thing? If you're living with the person, you need to make a plan of like, how am I going to move out? Where am I going to stay? Where am I going to go? Right. If you're financially beholden to them, how am I going to fix that? Maybe I need to get a job. Like, so you need to make a plan and you have to really think wisely. And the second thing is to get support. Now, your friends are not always the best people to get support from because they're going to like maybe some of them are lovesick. Right. And they're going to lead you down the garden path or. You know, maybe some of them are dealing with their own stuff. So you confronting your stuff, you know, confronts them and then they just, bad. Ah, they can't deal with it. 
Yeah. So you do want to get support from a professional, right? So a coach, a therapist, someone that is literally trained to, to see behind your blind spots that can help you navigate the next way. And then if you don't need that, like if you're able to just walk out on your own, don't just walk out and then just think, oh, well, I'm done with that now. I'm free. I'm on my own. And the next one will be better. It's like, no, take the time to learn from that relationship. Yes. Because if you don't do that, you are going to repeat the same patterns. He'll be wearing different pants and a different shirt, and he might have a different skin color and eyes, but it's going to be the same guy. So do give yourself the gift of doing that work so that you can choose better the next time. Awesome. Excellent, excellent, excellent advice from somebody who has lived it. And I think that is probably why you have been such a successful coach in this space is because you've lived it. And I feel really like can... I'm nurturing little me's every time I work with someone. So it's very fulfilling. Awesome. Oh my gosh, girl. Well, thank you so much for showing up today and sharing and just sharing so openly about this very personal experience in in the service of helping others that's that's the goal with the show is always having these now what stories be a bit of a roadmap and help people kind of figure out what they want to do if they're experiencing something similar so if you think you have are in a toxic relationship or you're ending one or you're in a cycle of one and this this episode resonated with you reach out to Giovanna and she'll you know happily have a conversation with you or if you know somebody who you think is experiencing this share this episode with them and give it a listen and hopefully it'll just put them on a path to figuring out what's next for them That's it from us today. Be sure to join in and tune in. We're so excited for season two of the show. And thank you so much for listening. So that's it from us. Bye, G. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode. Quick update. Giovanna's book, Love Well, A Confession of a Lovesick Woman, is going to be coming out on February 14th, 2022. So just at the end of this week, Be sure to head over to Amazon or wherever you buy your digital uh, books in hardcover, paperback, audio, um, and look for her new book, Love Well, The Confessions of a Lovesick Woman. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it more than I can say. Did you love this episode of I Just Blank Now What? If you did, be sure to subscribe on your fave podcast platform. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. I do love reading them. And if you know somebody who's experiencing this story or something similar, please share this episode with them. It just might help them figure out the answers to their own now what questions. Have you recently had a now what moment and aren't sure what to do? Reach out to me at jessicastevens.ca and submit your story and I'll help you figure out what to do how to move forward and help you answer now what see you on the next episode